Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, December 6th is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, if you're looking, what kind of pots you can find at the dispensaries. So much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky at Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. It's really easy. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello, again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this live with Maya Tuesday, and here's why. It's a Tuesday, and tonight, my partner, Cry Maya Dukmasifa, uh, and I will be doing our first Tuesdays, probably our last first Tuesdays for several months. I'm feeling uh, very weepy and nostalgic and melancholy about it, uh, old Lang Syne and all that. Uh, as we've said many times, uh, Maya is very close uh, to giving birth, and I got a feeling, Maya, uh, that you'll be taking at least two months off uh, after your baby is born. Uh, so this will be our last first Tuesdays. How you feeling, by the way? I haven't even asked you that. We talk all business whenever we see. How you How you feeling as you head into motherhood? Well, I've been I've been awake since three a.m. today. My sleep is not great, so today I'm not feeling uh, I'm not feeling my most. Uh, my most sharp, but you know, I'm getting through it. <laughs> but you will rebound for tonight's show at first. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I've got a night programmed in. Uh, she's going to drink a lot of coffee or something. I don't know what she's going to do, yoga or something to get uh, fired up. Uh, just tell, remind everybody what they can see if they show up at the promontory in Hyde Park tonight. Uh, Maya at 630. Uh, tell them about our show, our guests, etc. Go ahead. So we have quite a great show planned for folks tonight at the promontory. The start time is going to be 630. Um, and the promontory is located, in case you didn't know, it is in Hyde Park. It's located at 5311 South Lake Park Avenue. Um, if you don't already have a ticket, uh, you can uh, get one at the door or you can go to the first Tuesdays uh, with Maya and Ben Facebook page or Instagram page. And grab a ticket before you head out. Um, we have a fantastic show to close out the year. We've got some clips from the new documentary Punchline for Harold Washington. So if you haven't seen it already, this will be um, a little a little taste, a little preview of the film. Uh, we've got director uh, Joe Winston, who's going to be joining us to, to present the clips and uh, tell us a little bit about where people can hopefully catch the movie in the next few months. Um, and then we're going to have what promises to be a really exciting discussion uh, with two Chicago alderwomen, um, 
Leslie Harrison from the fifth ward will be in her ward tonight. Um, she has announced that she's not running for reelection um, in, uh, in, in the spring. And then we've got 33rd ward Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez, who is running for reelection uh, for her first, she's got her first reelection campaign coming up um, uh, this spring. So we, this winter and spring. So yeah, we'll be talking to them all about the film, but also about the kind of progressive history of the city council and um, kind of what is its potential future. Um, there's so many seats that are opening up uh, in the February election. Uh, a lot of progressive candidates running, um, a lot of really hotly contested races already. You can see from the objections being filed uh, through yesterday. And uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, we'll, we're gonna get the take, their take on um, what kind of council we could see come next spring and um, how that might jive with, uh, you know, the current mayor still being the mayor or a new mayor coming in. Yeah, I, uh, one thing that's on my mind that I'll probably uh, ask Leslie Harrison for her thoughts on uh, is, uh, well, I, and and Rosanna Rodriguez, I'll bring this in too. The legacy left over from some of the characters in Council Wars, 1983, 80, 45 is a very, very long time ago. It seems like ancient history. And yet in many ways, we're still feeling the ramifications of the council uprising against Mayor Harold Washington. Uh, it was the only significant move by the city council to challenge a mayor in the entire uh, history of Chicago, uh, definitely in the post-World War II era. And uh, it was done strictly around race. Uh, it was a rebellion of white aldermen against uh, Harold Washington, the first black man to be elected mayor of the city of Chicago. And one of the leaders of that insurrection against Harold Washington, I use that word insurrection, thinking of the ties it has to, to MAGA uh, and January 6th, uh, was the, uh, Ed Burke, who just recently, and uh, well, he didn't make an announcement. He slipped away in the night. He did not file for re-election. Long time uh, alderman from the 14th Ward in the southwest, uh, southwest side of Chicago powerhouse uh, and teamed up with Eddie Verdoliak. Love to get Leslie Hairston's uh, views on uh, Ed Burke's role in the city council. Another alderman in that uh, insurrection is very much a character in the movie Punch Nine. He's interviewed. He's very gleeful about the, the role he played. And that is Richard Mell. And Richard Mell is the uh, head of the organization that Rosanna Rodriguez toppled when she defeated Richard Mell's daughter. Follow me on this, Chicagoans. I know the real Chicagoans who follow politics know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, Maya. And uh, Mell's uh, factions are gearing up to go after R Rosanna again. So uh, it will be really interesting to get Rosanna's thoughts because uh, Joe has told me that Joe Winston, that he'll play a clip uh, of Mel, uh, sort of featuring yeah. Mel and the role Mel played uh, in the aftermath of Harold's death uh, when the city council yeah. met too. So, um, folks, if you haven't seen the film, it's, I mean, this was one of the most astonishing part of the film is just the comfort and ease with which Richard Mel reflects on waging basically a multi-year kind of, uh, yeah, ra racist insurrection against <laughs> against the mayor. Um, it's uh, it, it, his reflections about that time are, are are were just astonishing in their kind of like. I mean, he made he really was talking about it like it was no big deal, and it was just you know all part of the all part of the process, and and kind of narrating it as if it wasn't a history he was actively participating in. So. 
Um, I, I'll be really curious to see uh, which which exact clips Joe will pick, but um, that is sure to be part of the mix. All right, so Mike, get some rest. Once you're fired up for that show, uh, your brain cells really working sharp. Uh, some great questions, great conversation. As I said, it will be our last first Tuesday uh, for several months. So uh, let's go out with a bang. How about that, Maya? Yeah, I can't wait. Looking forward to it tonight. All right, 6.30 at the Promontory. Get some rest. See you then. All right? All right. Bye. All right. That's a great Maya Dukmasafa. Now, without further ado, I'm going to bring on uh, today's guest, uh, Chris Scott from Democracy for America. Welcome to the Ben Jarowski Show, Chris Scott. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yes. Uh, so I know you're way too young to remember the days of Harold Washington. Uh, but you told me, Chris and I had a nice chat before you went on the air, uh, that he, he's uh, raised in Detroit. Okay, so he's essentially uh, a Detroit person. Uh, but your mother, did you say, wasn't did you tell me your mother is from Chicago? Yes, my mother's from the south side of Chicago. And when you talk about Harold Washington, uh, it's a name that I heard all the time growing up. A lot of my family, um, my mother's brothers and sisters actually uh, worked, volunteered on Harold Washington's campaign when he was running for office. So uh, you mentioned his name and it is uh, definitely a household name within my family. Oh, yeah. No, if you get if you talk to pretty much any Chicagoan above the age of 60, I think, you know, let me just do Let's do the math. Actually, you could probably get uh, a, like above the age of 55. Mm -hmm. And and Harold Washington just uh, resonates. And it's it's Chris, it's hard to explain why someone from 1983 would have such resonance. Uh, but you have if you know the history of race and politics in mm -hmm. Chicago and you know how many obstacles Harold Washington had to clear to get where he got and how much blowback he faced from the exactly. powers to be in the city of Chicago, it it's just a parable, you know, that just will last, I think, long after my generation and your mom's generation has passed. It will be a, a, a story. They'll try to bury the story, Chris Scott, like they do in Chicago. <laughs> you know how they do that? Anything that's embarrassing to the city of Chicago, let's pretend it didn't exist. You know, collective amnesia. All right, let's uh, let's talk about current politics. Let's move out of 1983, as hard as that may be for me. Folks who uh, listen to the show know Democracy for America is run by Yvette Simpson. And she's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, and uh, so, Chris, uh, do, why don't you put in your words uh, exactly what uh, Democracy Democracy for America is uh, and what your sort of overall purpose is? Go, go ahead. Yeah, so when you look at Democracy for America, I think it's one of those organizations of you're using slang terms, the OG organization within the progressive movement. It's been around for 18 years. A lot of folks know us from emerging from Howard Dean's uh, presidential campaign. And I think if you look at presidential campaigns, we might be the only organization still existing and ticking strongly uh, out of uh, uh, losing presidential campaign. And so for the last 18 years, we've been uh, leading an aggressive, uh, electing progressive candidates. Uh, we've helped over 1,100 get elected. Uh, we've raised over $70 million to invest in uh, candidates in that time. And so uh, we do the work and we have a philosophy that 
Uh, you got to invest in the grassroots uh, if you want to be successful, particularly in democratic politics. Yeah. And uh, so in that regards, I think the issue on everybody's mind right now in terms of the future of uh, progressive politics, the future of Democratic Party, future of the Senate, et cetera, is what's going on in Georgia today. And, yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. So Georgia, I, I think it's one of those cases where Republicans are probably sitting there, uh, you know, hoping, wishing on a prayer at this point. I think uh, the last bit of polling had Warnock with the slight lead of 50 48. Uh, and turn out just about half of what it was uh, in November, I think around 1.89 million. Uh, but when we're looking at this race, it's really a pivotal race if Democrats get to 51 in the Senate. You're talking about uh, what can, what type of judges uh, can you appoint? What committees are you looking in? And I think it's especially crucial because you think about all the gridlock uh, gridlock from the last year with Mansion and Cinema. You get 51. You're not as worried about that, and it get, puts Democrats in a much better position, especially with the House being divided. Of hey, if we could get a couple of Republicans to flip on certain policies in the House, you can definitely get a lot more now passed uh, in the Senate with that 51-49 majority. All right, we'll get into the strategic in the weeds uh, details of what it means to have 51 Democratic sem uh, senators as opposed to 50 uh, and Vice President uh, Harris breaking the tie. I need to ask you something else. And this has been on my mind for a long time. Uh, this is a question that a lot of my guests get. So uh, I'm not from Georgia. I've, I believe the only time I've ever been in Georgia is on a, a layover. The plane landed in Atlanta for some reason. I don't even know why. And then went somewhere else. So I know really nothing about the state of Georgia. So I don't mean to insult people in Georgia with what I'm about to say. But I, I don't know how <laughs> I can avoid insulting you. Herschel Walker? Really? That's who you come up with, Republicans? I mean, Chris Scott, I've been watching... Herschel Walker's performance for the last six months. And I'm not quite sure if it's a parody or not. Sometimes I'm like, oh, Herschel Walker is playing a game with us. Like the last thing he did about Coons. I don't know if you saw that one. And it's like every day he's like, what can I do to top the idiocy that I did yesterday? I know what. I'll go here. And he's still going to get 49%, 48%. At least it's still not in the bag even. I'm like, help me out here, Chris. You've been studying politics for a while now. Why would the Republicans in Georgia nominate a man like Herschel Walker, who is so incompetent and so clearly not qualified for this very important position to be their Senate nominee? Help me out. Help me understand the Georgian mind. Go ahead. Well, I think it's not even a Georgian mind. It's just where the Republican Party is at this point. We all know that uh, the saying goes, you know, uh, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. Uh, and I remember, I think earlier this uh, cycle, uh, there was a Republican commentator and strategist that said, I don't care if Herschel Walker killed endangered baby eagles. I just want control of the Senate. And I think that's what it comes down to. They'll do anything to keep power and they'll put up anybody that they think might appeal. And look, that's the best that they thought they had. Um, you know, the Republican Party has been doing a lot of crazy things since Donald Trump 
Uh, so it doesn't surprise me to see the level of incompetency and in choosing a candidate. But at this point, they just want power and that's all they care about. Well, right now, I know who you're talking about uh, who said that. And that came out after following me in this, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about this on the show. Uh, so Herschel Walker supposedly vehemently uh, anti-abortion. Uh, Republicans uh, of the MAGA persuasion uh, make the stand, take the stand that any abortion is murder. They equate the abortion in, of, of even a, just a recently fertilized uh, egg as the same as killing somebody walking down the street. That's their position, folks. That, I'm not making it up. That's them. Don't blame me if you don't like it. Okay. Uh, so that's their official position. Uh, and then it turns out that allegedly, and I always have to say allegedly because he denies it happened, even though the evidence sure seems like he did pay for the abortion. Uh, Herschel Walker paid for at least one abortion, uh, at which point this uh, operative said, well, I don't care if he killed, I forget, like a, a baby doe or something, like a baby deer. Or Literally baby, baby eagles, baby eagles, baby eagles. And I'm like, why are you belittling your issue? This is your issue. He's not talking about killing baby eagles. He's talking about killing babies. You call them living beings. This, see, Chris, this is why I cannot deal with Republicans because mm -hmm. they stand for nothing. They don't even believe in the things that they believe in, which is. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, but they'll do anything for the power. And I think that is the scary part about this Republican Party. I think, you know, ever since Donald Trump, you see them a lot more emboldened. You see them a lot more extreme they will do whatever they have to do to hold on to their power. Yeah. Well, uh, so in this particular instance, uh, it will not decide, literally decide the Senate. Even if, God help us all, the, the citizens of Georgia think it's a good idea to elect as their senator, Herschel Walker, even if the good people of Georgia decide that, uh, it'll still be 50-50. So that means, once again, the Democrats will have control uh, because uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, would be the tiebreaker. I think all Americans or most Americans have figured that out now. After two years, they've, they've under, come to understand. God bless Americans. Uh, but strategically, to get down in the weeds, as you were explaining before, it's important, uh, not the least of which, I'll start with, at this point, get your attitude on this. In 2024, I'm already looking ahead, ladies and gentlemen, the Dems will have a lot more difficult challenge in electing senators, be a lot more Democratic incumbents uh, in red states running for reelection. So it will be an opportunity for the Republicans to take back the Senate. That one extra vote in Georgia, <laughs> this is the insanity of our time, could make the difference in 2024. Are you seeing it the same way, Chris? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing it the same way. I think, you know, the first person that comes to mind, Sherrod Brown, Ohio. Uh, obviously, Ohio is not uh, the Ohio that we knew that sent uh, Barack Obama to the White House uh, two times in a row. It's fallen a lot uh, more off. It's a Republican supermajority uh, in the state legislature. And so, you're talking about seats, even though you got Democrats that have performed strongly in red states that are just trending more and more away. And so uh, when you're looking at 2024 and that difficult map, uh, and I know we're going to get into this later, but I think it comes down to our Democrats, one, 
are they able to get some things passed in Congress or at least show that they're fighting on those things? And then two, do we double down on the issues that we know are most uh, prominent that are still gonna be prominent in 24? That's abortion, that's still uh, the economy. Where are we on those issues? Uh, so can we possibly hold serve in some of these difficult seats? Yeah, that'd be really tough. 2024 is, uh, is going to be uh, very, very tough. So let's talk about the issue that probably uh, could keep Democrats in power. And uh, I think MAGA overplayed its hand on the abortion mm -hmm. issue. I think that's becoming pretty clear. They were jubilant uh, when Alito led the charge at the Supremes to uh, eradicate Roe. And they were very happy uh, about that. Uh, and then, however, they're coming face to face with the reality uh, Chris, that the position they have taken as a Republican Party uh, is that uh, at odds with where uh, most American voters are, mm -hmm. and that's become apparent uh, over and over in the in the months since uh, the Alito uh, decision was. Uh, I call it the Alito decision because he was the brains behind it. Uh, if there is something like a brain behind that thing, so um, how do you see? Uh, the Republicans dealing with abortion as an issue in a way to how, how to neutralize it, its impact uh, and uh, going forward. I don't really see them trying to neutralize it. I think that's the sad part. Um, you know, obviously we saw a number of states that uh, even ballot measures uh, that failed. But when you look at Republicans in the South right now, uh, they are still going extremely aggressively. I'm thinking of Texas, I'm thinking of Florida, uh, places like Alabama, they are doubling down on, we're going to make that harder. And it's one of those things of the Republican Party at this point, I think, is not even what folks, uh, general Republicans would have thought of it. It is a very much uh, extreme party, is a party that promotes anarchy uh, at this point, uh, is the party of birthing insurrection at this point. And so I think you'll see a double down effect. I think they will try to be smarter maybe in how they talk about it in battleground states. They might not, they'll try to downplay uh, the impact and maybe not push as extreme, but in places where they already have the numbers, they're still gonna be just as extreme. And I think that's what you saw with the Supreme Court is like, hey, we got the court, we do what we uh, want and didn't think about the fallout effect of if you pass, pass this, you galvanize and add a whole lot of energy that I think early on in this cycle, folks were worried about were Democrats ever gonna get that energy. Well, you not only gave Democrats that uh, energy, you gave some of the people in your own party energy because even they said, that's a little bit too extreme for us. Yeah, no, I don't know how that, I, well, I think it's somebody like if they do rally behind Ron DeSantis, uh, which Lord knows uh, if that will happen, if, if he has the guts to run against Trump, uh, if they do rally behind Ron DeSantis, I don't know how he can nuance his way out of this. I read uh, a publicist, a uh, propagandist for the Republican Party, wrote an essay for the New York Times explaining uh, how uh, Ron DeSantis could pick up the votes that Trump uh, couldn't get. And uh, Chris, I'm reading this publicist, and this is a propaganda, so he's putting that Republican spin out there, and he's trying to write his way around DeSantis's opposition to abortion. I'm like, 
that's not going to pass. You may have convinced yourself in this little essay you wrote for the New York Times, but I, I don't see that working uh, with voters. This is a, a critical moment for the Republican Party. Well, I'm going to go say one more thing uh, beyond even just uh, abortion and women's right. What you saw in this midterm, you saw a lot of young people come out that hadn't uh, come out before. You're talking about Gen Z, uh, uh, younger age uh, millennials, and you talk about somebody like Ron DeSantis, they're just going to be just as equally motivated to beat somebody like that. When you look at Ron DeSantis, I think I heard somebody say, He's a born version of Donald Trump and that, you know, he might not say things as eloquently, uh, but he is still just as uh, senile uh, and effective. You look at the don't say gay bill uh, that he uh, pushed in uh, Florida, all the antics. It's not going anywhere. Like you get Donald Trump, you get DeSantis, you're still giving Democrats a lot to be motivated on what to beat back. Uh, and nobody is full of the fact of if DeSantis has power, that he very much would instill still a lot of those restrictions when it comes to access uh, for women's uh, right to choose and abortion rights. Oh, yeah. And again, going back to the Supremes, it's pretty obvious that uh, Alito and the Supremes are getting ready uh, to allow uh, bigots to use religion as an excuse uh, mm -hmm. to discriminate against gay people. Uh, so this is a case right now before the Supreme Court, uh, very similar to the one about the baker, which I always just laughed at, man. Like, like what? Why? I, I, I can't even get the like, what? Is, why would you? What is it so wrong about baking a cake? For a gay couple getting married, I mean, I just can't. Yet you know, I'm like, I don't know. But <laughs> go ahead. Look at the policies. I mean, that's not even a policy. The things that they like to wage war over are not things that really, uh, uh, a lot of times, um, affect you on a daily basis. But it is a very segment of. Uh, distraction of let me put out these little things before I go after the thing yeah. that I really, really want. Absolutely. And by the way, I don't know if you follow this, but Alito's, he's, they're all struggling for analogies to, to sort of defend their position. Uh, and uh, so Alito's analogy was whether it would, uh, how I put this, if a, a, a black Santa uh, refused had to have a, a, a little kid in a Ku Klux Klan outfit sit on his knee and the kid was black. That's what you're equating to denying someone civil right. You, it's like this, they just like stretch the ridiculousness and the absurdity with these false equivalencies and the, which make them look really foolish uh, and undercut their argument all because what they just want to justify bigotry by giving it like a religious justification do you follow what i'm saying chris like that explains it like oh well i have my religious belief which is i could be intolerant toward you and discriminate against you well again let's just look at who's their senate nominee in georgia talking about werewolves and vampires we're talking about mythological uh creatures uh and you know things that shouldn't even be a conversation uh, in politics when we're talking about everything at stake in this country. But 
again, it's the candidates they pick, it's the philosophies that they have. And we know for a fact they've always uh, twisted religion to you try to use it uh, within their favor. All right, let's move on to uh, the strategy that they employed uh, in this midterms, particularly in the state of Illinois. I told you this, but they did it all over the country, law and order. Uh, just to let everybody know, uh, at one point in his career, uh, Chris was a strategist working with Kim Fox, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, when she ran for reelection in 2020, I want to say, right? 2020? Right. Time flies, Chris. Uh, and, um, man, they try to use law and order against Kim Fox. So Chris Scott knows a thing or two about dealing with political uh, Democrats running for election uh, against the law and order campaign. Uh, how effective, in your humble opinion, was the law and order a theme uh, that the Republicans pushed in this 2022 cycle? Uh, and what can Democrats uh, do uh, to effectively deal with it in the future? Go ahead. So I think what we saw in 2022, um, I think in some places it was effective, in other places uh, it was non-existent. I think where you saw it be a little bit more effective is when the Democrats took a longer time to actually rebuttal and push back against it. And that has always been the problem when it comes to this law and order issue. You go back to 2020, when really I think you started seeing a huge rise in Republicans push it because of what was happening. We were talking about defunding the police. It was a huge progressive, you know, label that you slapped on every single Democrat. And Democrats didn't know how to talk about it at all. You almost saw places where they froze up. But um, I think particularly what we saw this cycle um, is really their playbook going forward and the darkening of images, making more grainy images, especially against candidates of color, using, uh, you know, uh, the few times you might have had a more aggressive incident and in an otherwise peaceful protest. These are the things of propaganda that they're pushing up. Uh, to run um, down from mayoral races all the way up to the U.S. Senate races. And so the only way I think it hurts a Democrat is when we don't have anything to counter. We allow it to marinate and it sit there for a while. But if we just talk about being on brand on the message, being smarter on crime, you don't have to be overly tough on crime. You can be smarter on crime. Uh, people putting more police in communities when you look at public polling, that's not what makes people feel safer. But the more that you have uh, police accountability, civilian voice, that makes people feel safer. So uh, as long as Democrats don't let themselves get painted, I think they're fine. But Republicans aren't running the rank for this. We're going to see a lot more of this going forward. We're also going to see it by Democrats uh, here in Illinois. In Chicago, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot running for re-election. If any, I, I think I may have mentioned this to you. If anybody comes at her from the left, uh, she accuses them of being uh, for defund the police. When Artie Duncan was talking about running for uh, mayor city of Chicago, he ultimately decided not to. Artie Duncan, former Secretary of Education under Barack Obama, former head of Chicago Public Schools under Mayor Daley, uh, when he, he briefly uh, gave thought to running for mayor, has some very progressive attitudes and ideas about policing. And Lori Life for me, they said, oh, he's a defund the policer, which I'm like, I, at the same time she was saying this, 
uh, Darren Bailey's political campaign running for governor was using pictures of Lori Lightfoot in their campaign against J.B. Pritzker, and they darkened her skin color in the pictures mm-hmm. to scare white people. I'm like, <laughs> I can't even get this. Sometimes politics is so illogical, so mm-hmm. inconsistent, so hypocritical, Chris, that it's hard for me to even get a sentence out. You know what I'm saying? The same woman who's running against defund the police is having her skin darkened uh, by uh, Republicans instead of embracing her as their ally, which, you know, they might have considered that they're trying to use her to scare people. Help me out with this. Help me out. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the thing of I think Republicans have done a good job of they know uh, they can take a Democrat and make him uh, make them essentially a puppet for whatever uh agenda they want to push i think when you look at uh uh mayor lightfoot uh doing that it doesn't surprise me we're talking about chicago uh it's a very strong police union town uh and so yes of course she's probably gonna align because she's knows she's gonna get more progressive uh challengers gary uh, from what i've seen uh and heard her popularity is also not that high and so she is trying to already establish and make sure what I would think is probably building up a war chest uh, to make sure she can try to fend any uh, strong challengers, which, I mean, she already has likely one in uh, Chuy uh, Garcia, the former congressman. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me, but it it's unfortunate when you see Democrats play down and play right into the Republican uh, playbook. Um, you know, the Willie Hordnads have really no place in politics. Uh, they're disgusting. I'm tired of seeing them. Yet again, they keep becoming more and more prominent. And it does us no good when you get a quote unquote Democrat that is running uh, uh, with that same messaging point. I mean, when Democrats run on a Republican playbook, it never ends well for that Democrat. Uh, and I think we saw that, you know, let's look at some of the redistricting mistakes uh, this past cycle alone. We right. cannot follow a Republican playbook if we want to keep power. Yeah. By the way, I need to know, uh, I've never been on the other side of uh, the camera, so to speak. I've always been uh, a reporter looking in. I've never been a, a political operative or strategist or a candidate. God help us all me as a candidate. Uh, <laughs> what a joke that would be. Uh, on the inside looking out. And you've been on the inside many times uh, in mm-hmm. your career. So when a campaign, a Republican campaign, does uh, a skin darkening tactic against uh, an incumbent or a challenger, whatever it could be, uh, What's going on inside that candidate's, you know, uh, campaign rooms? Like, what are, what's the strategy to combat it? What are people saying? Do they take it as a threat? Do they say we should ignore it? Uh, do they have a compelling counterpunch? Help us out a little bit. What's going on behind the scenes? So that's where I think, you know, when you're talking about the anatomy of a campaign, every campaign is different. I've seen campaigns implode because they were scrambling to figure out well how how exactly should we respond uh a lot of the ones i i'm on it's a gift from heaven uh especially if i got a black candidate uh and you've done that to my uh candidate one you're giving me a lot of free press uh to be able to work with 
Uh, it's uh, also a talking point of why clearly my candidate is stronger on the issues because you're going to everything else but the issues to make that prominent in the race. And I think where Democrats in general, any candidate, you have to feel comfortable when you get to that level, that means your candidate is a real threat to them. They're worried about them because that is a tactic every time that is tried and true to fire up their base to sound the alarm that they need to come out. And so uh, for me, I always saw it as a gift. It sucks. And so I don't want to call it a gift and it is something horrible, but you're giving me a lot more cards to work with if you're stooping to that as your tactic. Now, I have you exactly where I want you at that point. So in other words, you can't be afraid of it. You can't run from it. You, you got to lean into it. They're going to paint you as that anyway. And so, uh, you know, coming from a comms background is like, you can either let them write the story about you or you can write the narrative about yourself. And the longer you sit on it after something like that's happened is another day that you're allowing them to write the narrative uh, without you having anything about your own story out there. You know, that's funny that yeah, that's a, a common refrain about uh, writing a narrative. Uh, the usual, the metaphor is, is there's a blank slate. Who's going to fill it in first? Is the candidate running going to fill it in with a positive image that would win over votes? Or will the opponent fill it in with a negative image that wins votes? And, and this is on my mind. I was laughing at this. We talked about this last week. Uh, Darren Bailey, who was the Republican MAGA man candidate for governor uh, against J.B. Pritzker, uh, in, got clobbered in this last uh, go around uh, in a post-election interview. Uh, said, blamed it on his loss on Pritzker's ability to paint the picture of him. And I had to laugh at that because it that's who you are. You, you get what I'm You were running as you were a MAGA man running in a state that doesn't like Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. he didn't paint a false picture of you. He didn't metaphorically speaking, quote unquote, like darken your skin or change your skin color. You know, you mm -hmm. are who he said you were mm -hmm. and you ran away from each. You knew it was a liability. So you try to dilute what you were to make yourself more acceptable to other people. So I don't know how real that is. How, do, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know I hear it all the time. People saying, like, don't let the other side paint the picture of you. But. To get to to get the nomination, Darren B, Darren Bailey had to be MAGA man. That's who mm -hmm. he was. Mm -hmm. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's yep. like ultimately he painted his own picture. Exactly, and and then you're mad at you know somebody leaning in uh, to what you already sculpted and put it out there. Um, I think it's one of those when we're looking at where politics is particularly the democratic party and this is why i love progressive groups progressive candidates do a really good job of not only telling their own personal story uh but painting the vision for what the voters really want based on the issues that are hurt and i think when you look at uh you know we were looking at post-election a lot of the, you know, uh, insurrectionists, uh, a lot of the people uh, that had the theories about, you know, 
Joe Biden really didn't win the election. A lot of them lost to progressive candidates that were running statewide or for Congress uh, and things like that. And so I, I do very much think there is something to that storytelling. I, I, it's the whole reason why we say, you know, watch out for the third quarter surprise because so many people get hit with that thing at the end of the election and either you know how to respond to it or you're sitting there on a response for weeks and then that is literally defines you for the rest of the election. Nobody remembers how you ran the race the entire time until you get to that third and fourth quarter of the race. So are right, you mentioned uh, progressive politics within the Democratic Party. And so we're again, we're thinking ahead to 2024. Uh, how do you see that dynamic playing out? Sort of like the, the more centrist way, uh, part of the party versus the more progressive part of the party. Uh, I know many centrists, so I'm not going to name them uh, right now, who are just, they're filled with utter contempt and disdain uh, for my beloved lefties. They, it's, it's a, sometimes I think they dislike lefties more than they dislike uh, Republicans. Uh, and uh, I definitely think that's the case with the, like the Rahm Emanuel crowd here in Chicago. So, um, so how do you see, what's the future as you see, look, these next two picture, you know, you think about what's coming down the road for the Democratic Party. We talk about the, the difficulties and the challenges uh, Republicans uh, are facing. What about the Democrats trying to hold this coalition together of lefties and centrists? What's your thoughts? I mean, I think the future is progressive. Um, you know, the Democratic Party has always tried to uh, see itself as this big tent party where everybody uh, can uh, exist. Um, and yeah, there is, you know, it, we can't deny that there is real tension at times between the moderate wing of the party uh, and the more left wing. But uh, just look at where we've been trending since 2018, uh, when you got the Ayanna Presley's, when you had the AOC's get elected, then you went to 2020 and you get the Jamal Boyman's and the Cory Bush's and the Mondaire Jones. This year, Maxwell Foss, first Gen Zer Afro-Cuban elected, Greg Kassar picks up an uh, open seat. Uh, in Texas, Jasmine Crockett, Delia Ramirez uh, in your backyard uh, here. And so the future is very much progressive. Um, and I'll make this last point of the only reason why the Democrats have the Senate right now is because of a more progressive candidate in the first place. When you look at even the nominees who they thought had a chance, progressive candidates. And so I think the Democratic Party is slowly starting to come around and realize like, look, our base wants people that talk to the issues that are gonna lean into these issues. And so I do think you're gonna start to see more of a shift and moderates not running away from as many issues with the progressive uh, uh, wing in the party. I don't never necessarily expect them to push Medicare for all, um, you know, but you're going to have to lean into more student debt relief and things like that if you actually want to win elections and keep your power. All right, play Monday morning quarterbacking uh, quarterback with me on Ohio. Uh, Tim Ryan uh, lost in Ohio, and Tim Ryan was a quintessential centrist Democrat. He even challenged at one point in his career Nancy Pelosi on the grounds that she was too liberal, which I have to laugh as a lefty. Uh, so the reigning thought 
that the prevailing thought throughout the summer was that Tim Ryan, I read this article in the New York Times and the Washington Post so many times, Chris, was the perfect candidate for Ohio, right? You know, the centrist candidate. You can't you, you can't accuse him of being soft on crime. You can't accuse him of not loving uh, law enforcement. You can't accuse him of being like a woke uh, Democrat. He's the perfect con- candidate for a state like Ohio that's trending red. What happens? Oh, boy, Vance mops the floor with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, and push come to shove. The people who voted for Ryan, in my estimation, from looking at it from afar, were the same people who are the ones that the Democratic Party is running from. In other words, their base. So they malign their base and they pretend like their base is something that they don't want anything to do with. They're dependent on them. And guess what? They don't pick any up any MAGA votes anyway. Yeah. So would they be better off with a progressive candidate? Go. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Ohio. I look at Ohio. That is the place where I cut my teeth in politics. I've been there for multiple presidential cycles. I was the executive director of one of the statewide caucuses there. The common misgiven, and I think we see this nationally, you Democrats have to let go, accept the fact of some of these voters are not coming back to you, period. Stop going after them. They're not coming back. Uh, and when you're talking about, I think we have this conversation on, you know, the working class voter, the working class voter is just not the working class white, it, especially in a state like Ohio, it is very black and brown as well. The recipe to winning back Ohio is you have to authentically engage uh, Black people in Ohio, which Democrats typically have done a very poor job of doing since uh, the Obama years in Ohio. You have to stop getting blown out in rural Ohio, which means you understand that you're not going to win every voter, but you are willing to go to a place uh, like Dark County and talk to the voters there because you can still peel off a few if you just appease to what is bothering Ohioans. And so authenticity is gonna be a very, very big thing if Democrats ever wanna win in the future, but stop going back for what you left and embrace what you actually have. You have a very strong base of still Democratic voters in Ohio, but they're not motivated because you keep putting up mediocre candidates that aren't willing to actually address the issues that a lot of people in the base actually care about in Ohio. Well, what are the issues that you think could win over voters uh, in, uh, you mentioned, what is it, Dart County? Uh, yeah. So tell people what where Dart County is and who lives there, and then uh, explain uh, what you mean by issues that could win over these voters. So Dark County is one of, you know, going towards uh, Dayton away from kind of central Ohio and really where you look at where Democrats have really got hammered and losing a lot. It's that Appalachia area in eastern Ohio. It's Tim Ryan's old seat in Youngstown where they've been decimated because the industry has gone away. But you know what problems they still have in those areas? They don't have access to broadband. You have kids literally going to McDonald's to be able to do their homework. Talk about broadband access uh, and how 
uh, having that um, can bring back more jobs. You're talking about uh, farmers still that are hurting. Talk about how you're going to make industries uh, uh, like the farm industry continue to uh, boom. And then when you're talking about uh, uh, particularly black and brown populations, it's still going to come down to that economy uh, and creating job opportunity. Uh, it's going to come down to still, you know, providing debt relief. Ohio has a whole lot of schools that um, those students, when they're motivated, they vote. Again, look at the Obama years. That was a big part. Those colleges turned out for them. Those colleges are not turning out in the same uh, uh, numbers. And so I think for Ohio, and I'm still this uh, from now Congresswoman Amelia Sykes, who used to be the minority leader uh, when I was ED for the Black Caucus, and she had this thing called the Ohio Promise for that she did statewide and had the Democratic Caucus do. And what it was is uh, the you have the opportunity to live the American dream, all the things that we put with the American dream right here in Ohio, and Democrats are the ones fighting for it. Even if that legislation is not getting passed, Democrats are the ones fighting for those issues. And so the last point I will make, and it goes back to the bigger national perspective, folks wanna know that they have a fighter. They don't care if you always win because they know you're gonna lose some in the fight. But are you even trying to fight for them in the first place? Yeah. I, uh, a couple of thoughts popped in my mind listening to you uh, go on that riff. Uh, I'll put Obama to the side for a moment and I'll come to Dave Chappelle. Uh, so Dave Chappelle did a bit, an opening monologue we've talked a lot about on this show, uh, Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, the part that got most of the attention was his opening where he was talking about uh, a relationship between Jewish people and black people, Kanye, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, that's not what I'm going to talk about now. The part that uh, I, I, I really thought was uh, really insightful uh, was where he was talking about Donald Trump as an honest liar. And he's talked, Dave Chappelle, about his neighbors. Dave Chappelle lives in Ohio. Many people don't know that, but he lives in Ohio, did a he did a comedy special uh, that he shot relative in his backyard. Uh, uh, Chris, maybe areas that you worked uh, trying to get candidates elected from. So uh, he has a sense of what people in that area have, what they respond to politically. Uh, and he said they responded to Donald Trump because in a very kind of contradictory way, uh, Donald Trump uh, spoke honestly when he said the system is rigged and he said, I know it's rigged because it's rigged for people like me and I've been the beneficiary all these years and I'm not going to change it because I want it to be rigged for me. <laughs> Voters took that as an honest assessment of how the system is rigged uh, and they voted for him even if they were being the victims of the rigged system. Mm -hmm. he, he wasn't, well, at least he didn't promise that he was going to change the system. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And so it's kind of bizarre psychology uh, that's at play here. But I think Dave Chappelle was speaking a lot of truths uh, when he said that. So what's your thoughts about Dave Chappelle's theory about uh, the honest liar in Donald Trump and how that appeals to Ohioans? I mean, I think that in general, people will sometimes sadly appreciate an honest liar. Uh, it, it's funny that you bring up uh, Dave Chappelle because uh, where he lives um, in the Yellow Springs area, it's in uh, Greene County. 
uh, which is right outside of uh, the Dayton area. It's one of the counties um, uh, next to where Dayton is. And, but that is a real pivotal county when it comes to not losing like 70, uh, uh, 70, 30, or even 65, 35, trying to get it closer to 60, uh, 40 there. It's a place where uh, the only historically black colleges uh, exist um, uh, in there, but that is one of the quintessential areas uh, that I think a lot of people that live in rural county or rural Ohio exist at of, again, are you authentically engaging them? Do you take the time to go talk to them? Are you honest about, or do they feel like you're being honest about what you have to offer? And it, the sad part about it is when you look at Ohio, they've had back-to-back -back majority leaders for the Republican parties get in, uh, involved in scandal by the FBI literally raiding the state and somehow they still uh, keep power. Why? Because they get out their message quicker and they still make it seem like, you know what, even though this scandal happens, it's still Democrats' fault that you should be upset at. Um, and it goes back to that pain in theory. But Democrats too often don't take the time to go visit the voter in Green County. You want to go to Cleveland. You want to go to Akron. You want to go to Columbus. Yes, all those places are important. But you got to go to the, your Green counties, your dark counties on the other side of Dayton. You still got to make your way to Appalachia, uh, where Athens, Ohio is and still talk to those voters. Those voters are just as important. I, I you, by the way, can we give credit uh, to Chris Scott here? I just, we did not prep this at all. The, the Dave ship, I told you things popping in my head and I, I told you that, I said, look out. I, I hadn't even, it was when you were talking, I just started thinking of Dave Chappelle and his routine. But I threw out Chappelle, he knew the town Chappelle's from, I didn't know the town, he knew the county, that that town is in i'm going to take it one step further when the show is done i'm going to do a deep dive and see what how that county went because you usually get county by county voting totals i'm really curious mm -hmm. how that county went in the vance uh ryan election uh i think there's some some I, I think when i view it i'm totally in the abstract here but dave Chappelle's comedy against uh trans people mm -hmm. i'm thinking that plays well in green county i'm just I think it does. And so yeah. that's the card that Republicans play. When you hear caustic comics mock the Democrats, uh, whether it's David, Dave Chappelle or Bill Maher, and those two are really kind of tied with their, their remarks about Democrats, they make fun of woke Democrats. Uh, and the, the issue that almost always they use is the trans community, mm -hmm. you know, like, and they, it's like snicker humor. Uh, and, they're, they're, it, people roll their eyes and laugh uh, humor at the folks that they're mocking and making fun of. I, I don't like it, Yeah, but they would say, oh, you're just woke, Ben. That's your problem. You're yeah. woke. And I feel that's a problem for Democrats in uh, areas like uh, Greene County. Uh, that's my general thoughts. Your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I think that's it's no 
you look at somewhere like Greene County, you look at a lot of places in Ohio, it's very similar to the South End. There are certain conversations that people just don't want to have, and it's automatically uh, a turnoff. Um, obviously, you know, when we're talking about trans rights, we know it is a major problem uh, in this country that continues to be on the rise when we're talking about violence against uh, trans people. But, you know, to a lot of voters, and I'm not going to say every voter, but there are plenty of voters where, yeah, that that is a thing that automatically, yep, you are exactly right. And this is why they can't uh, have power in, you know, again, it's sad to see how much the fear of the unknown uh, or the fear of progress uh, gets played up in uh, politics. And I don't mean uh, to make us go somber, but um, it is really sad. I think of even the abortion issue, um, we can't even have conversations sometimes about things. And But the irony of the fact of you know, you're okay with, uh, even in the most extreme cases, a woman got raped or, you know, uh, molested and has to have a child, you still don't want to uh, um, provide abortion in that, but you got Evaldi, you have Sandy Hook, you have Pulse Nightclub, you didn't bet an eye uh, when, you know, four or five-year-olds are running gun drills in the classroom. They haven't even gotten a chance to write an essay on what I want to be when I grow up. And you're talking about your pro-life? Everything that you're fighting of is a contradiction to that. And so I, but I bring it back to when you play on people's fears, it is a very powerful tool. And I think the way that you still address playing on people's fear is you have to be unapologetic about still telling the truth. Um, and it's gonna cost you some voters, but also it will win you a lot of voters. You just have an integrity to lean into talking about the truth. Uh, yeah, be honest about what you, uh, be honest. You don't even have to be a liar, just be honest. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we'll close with Obama. Now I've been okay. thinking a lot about this. I've, I'm all over the map with Obama. I, I'll save you uh, my uh, all over the mapism about uh, Barack Obama. Every time his name's been on a ballot, Chris, I voted for him. <laughs> uh, at the same time, he is the, he is a centrist. Uh, but uh, that said, he's a brilliant politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the best of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I watch clips of him on the uh, stump in Georgia, making fun of Herschel Walker. I don't know if you saw that one, but it yes. was very funny about the were- werewolves and uh even now when i when i talk i find myself being obama like i just start his cadence comes in and i start talking like obama uh, i can't help myself because he's obama he's he's like the rock star yeah he won ohio chris he won ohio in 2008 and he came back and won it in 2012 Trump got Ohio over Biden with like close to 54% of the vote, I want to say. Mm -hmm. So what is it? Like if you had to study Obama and try to learn techniques from what he did that you would help another candidate, like help Tim Ryan, (laughs) who just seems like so un-Obama, 
what would it be? What is it about Obama that enabled him to win Ohio twice? Go ahead. Well, you can't replicate that charisma, but what you can replicate, and I could speak to it because first ever election that I ever worked, 2012, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Ohio for President Obama. And is, uh, he ran a very data-driven campaign. He didn't leave things up to chance, but he took the time when you talk about organizing where we were set up all over that state, it was the last time that I can remember that a Democrat was willing to campaign all over Ohio. I mean, he was in Bowling Green, Ohio, where I went to school, which Wood County, that's a red county. Um, he was in Cleveland. He was in Cincinnati. He was in Columbus. He was still in, you know, Athens and Appalachia. It was the authenticity that he and his campaign was willing to go to places where oftentimes folks aren't willing to go. He was willing to have conversations uh, and staff was willing to have conversations, even though sometimes everybody didn't agree with you. The number of houses I think about, even in Cincinnati, because I didn't have all Democratic parts, and Cincinnati wasn't the blue powerhouse that it is now back in 2012, but the number of times I went to a house to have a conversation, and the husband, or uh, and sometimes his wife, but a lot of times it's a husband automatically, no, we're not doing that, wife comes to the door, actually, I'm gonna vote for him and could I take a pamphlet to give to my kid? Um, but that that doesn't happen if you don't knock on that door in the first place. And so it's going back to the authenticity of being willing to go places, even though you might not win overwhelmingly, being willing to still go to those places, have conversations, because whether or not they're a person in your party um, they're still a voter, they're still uh, Ohioan, and you're still going to represent them regardless if you want to leave that state. All right, very good. We'll leave it there with a little uh, history lesson uh, for folks trying to win over uh, the Obama voter, the Dave Chappelle voter uh, in Ohio. I actually do believe uh, it's crucial for the Democratic Party uh, if they want to really expand on their model you know what I'm saying? They, yeah, we Democrats lucked out, man. They barely won in 2020. Uh, they barely held on to the Senate in 2022. They lost the House because of those. Uh, I just, I, I can't even, I can't get the words out of my mouth. Uh, just the, the Democrats in New York, what a collection of, uh, I'm not even going to say it, Chris, uh, but they lost the House because of New York. Uh, but they've been holding on. But if they want to expand, I think it's uh, it's time that uh, they take a look at uh, what Obama did right in states like Ohio, and also uh, the first time around, believe it or not, Missouri and Indiana. I can't, I can't believe he won Missouri and Indiana, Chris. You know, but that type of authenticity goes a long way. Um, it's the reason why Democrats even have a shot in Georgia. Thank you, Stacey Abrams, for what that infrastructure she built, and that is very similar to that infrastructure Obama built. And if Democrats want to have staying power, you're going to have to get back to the model. And the only people that I know do it through and through, and obviously I'm biased, but it's the progressive movement uh, and the progressive wing of the party that really still 
invests in the grassroots authentically and intentionally all the time. All right, very good. It's Chris Scott from Democracy uh, for America. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for taking the time. We're gonna bring you back on. Uh, you do know your stuff. You passed the audition when you knew the county, <laughs> <laughs> Dave Chappelle's county. Uh, and, and you put that idea, I'm going to write a story and I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link. How did that vote go? Uh, did, did, were Republicans, were people in Dave Chappelle land, uh, lining up for the honest liars? Uh, <laughs> and we'll see uh, how they did. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, Ben. All right. That's, uh, Chris Scott. I want to thank, uh, the other Chris, uh, who's sitting in for Dr. D outstanding job as producer, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, also a product of Alton, Illinois, as is Dr. D. Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. 